223 episodes. Can you believe that? I know I can't. When I started this podcast back in August of 2019, I didn't know what to expect. I promised myself I would go for two years. I promised myself that I would release two episodes per year. I never imagined the personal growth that I would have through the people that I get to talk to. And there's no way that I could highlight every single one of them. But on today's episode, what I wanted to do was share a few of my favorite moments. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, you've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Episode 202, Reshaping Success with Dustin Bogle. You had mentioned video games and I wanted to comment on something that I saw on your posts um, this last weekend that you had instituted for your family, like a no screen Sunday. Um, and I thought that that was really cool. So you grow up, you grew up with video games and now we have kids that are not just growing up with video games, they're living on video games. And so you had instituted this no screen Sunday and it had like this impact on your life. Can you talk about what was the driving force behind that and what effect you saw for your family? Yeah. I mean, earlier I was talking about pain and it probably brought back the pain of me attributing that sitting down in front of a screen all day is going to lead to weight gain. And I'm just like, holy cow, I'm raising my son to follow my footsteps unless I'm a good father, a good leader. And I interject. And the difference was Amber, when I was young, gaming was wired, which means I had to walk away from it. Like the remote was wired to the Nintendo and I could not take it with me. Now it's wireless. I can have a phone. It's like I could take my Nintendo and I could walk down the street and it could be in front of my TV. I probably would have been crazy addicted if I had it the way it is now back then. So um, so basically, you know, again, I, I implemented that because I didn't want to see these things, uh, these, these life difficulties that I encountered happening to my son, my daughter. And also, I just know that, um, you know, they're 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 just being uh, completely distracted and, and um, you know, entertained all day, which is not a good way to kind of grow up that you think I wake up and be entertained, go to sleep, right? It, I have to work. I have to yeah. contribute, I have to create skills. I got to learn new skills. So now it's redirecting that. So I'm like, okay, what are we doing Sunday? Um, let's, let's get a, um, a coach to come and teach us how to like walk our dogs. Cause they're really bad at pulling our leash and like hurting our back. Let's get a drumming coach to come teach us how to play an instrument. Let's get a swimming coach and let's go, um, you know, learn different swim styles. But like it's meant for learning. It's meant for a lot more outdoor activity. And it's also meant for a family bonding time. And so, you know, um, I'm busy. Everybody says, you know, everybody is. Nobody would say they're not busy. But um, a planned day, it just we're all in agreement. And so it's like I'm putting my phone in my in my uh, shelf 
and we're just forgetting about screens for the day. And so that makes you start asking questions. What could we do that screen lists? When we're going through our life as business owners, as entrepreneurs, um, that intuition and instinct and and gut feeling and judgment that you're talking about needing to have as a kid, um, we convince ourselves that we're being overly judgmental or that we shouldn't listen to that. Or So how did that serve you as you started to get older in your life when it came to business? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the first thing is um, I actually resorted to hiding from the world because my my parents my my everything that i saw was danger you know if you just see gangs and um you know drug deals and guns and um weapons you just start to say well i guess i should stay home because that's where things are safe i shouldn't open myself up for relationships because i don't know what i'm going to get into and so that's where the, the weight gain began was that I stayed inside and I just came glued to my TV. I watched TV. That was an escape, you know, to see these fun stories and adventures and movies. And then I started playing, you know, a lot of video games, you know, being a gamer is what, you know, it's called today. It's kind of got a cool title, but, um, but basically just, you know, again, escaping. And, and it was through food and through entertainment that I just tuned out what was around me. I could escape through this tube in front of me. For those entrepreneurs that are saying, I really love what I'm doing. It's a great break from, you know, maybe it's a side hustle. Maybe you're working on building a business, but you've hit your capacity of what you can do alone. And you're making that decision of, do I bring in help? How do I do this? Um, and they're worried about exactly what you just said. They're worried about quality control. What is maybe two tips that you have for somebody to help them maintain the quality standards that you have with your clients when you bring in that person that's going to have their own style and they're not a robot. Love it. So uh, exercise I do in my leadership team quarterly um, is a simple four quadrant piece of paper exercise. And so, you know, your standard four quadrants on a piece of paper and it's uh, love it, like it, dislike it and hate it. And so you just list everything you do and do you love it, like it, dislike it, or hate it? And the first step is to get everything you hate off your plate ASAP. And, and so you want to delegate that because guess what? What you have in your hate quadrant, as crazy as it sounds, it is in somebody else's love quadrant, right? So for me, I do not like anything related with like payroll and taxes and paying bills and like making sure everybody's getting paid. And, and so like that would be in my hate column, but our CPA, it's in her love column. She absolutely loves it. She wakes up and it brings her joy. So it's, it's about swapping those things out. I mentioned it, you know, earlier, like car stuff. Like I hate cars, uh, the oil changing and the brake pad. And the guy, when I go get it fixed, he's like, Hey, come around here. I want to show you what I did with your water pump. I don't care, dude. Let me just pay you. This is in my yeah. hate category. So like you love it. This is your love category. Here's my money. I'm happy to pay you, but let me get out of here. And, and that's why I have a job and everybody has a job. Whatever you do that you love, somebody else, is, somebody else hates. And if you can make it as painless and as fun as possible, you will have a lot of business sent your way. So that's the first thing is find what you hate in your business and get it off because that is draining your energy and your excitement for what you do. And you're probably procrastinating on it and you're probably doing a shortcut version of it while someone else will do it with like a very good attention to detail. 
Dustin, thank you so much for coming on the show with me. I really appreciate it. And for those of us that for those listeners who are not looking at the screen right now and seeing all of your stuff scroll across the bottom, what is the best way for people to connect with you if they want to continue this conversation? Yes. So I'm on Instagram at Dustin.Bogle. And then I'm on Facebook, Dustin Bogle. Look for the handsome bald guy. And that's me. Love it. And if you're listening to this and you want to be able to ask questions, to be involved, to watch the interviews live, head over to Facebook, join the Success Center community and come connect with me there. I'm looking forward to having the opportunity to connect with you. Dustin, thank you so much for coming on the show. You've been amazing. Thank you. It was awesome, Amber. Thanks for having me. Episode 164 with Les Brown. One of the things that you say, and I, I think it's in the very early part of your newest book, is be hungry for a life that will outlive you. And I'm, I read that. And there are, so I have a group of friends that we always call when we're reading a book and we're like, hey, I just heard this and I know that you need to hear it too. And I think I made four phone calls when I read that statement. Be hungry for a life that will outlive you. You talk about your story so much and learning what that meant for you. When did you know that you were meant for more? I think it's a gradual process that looking at my mother, born in an abandoned building on a floor in a poor section of Miami, Florida called Liberty City. I'm here because as you know, two women, one gave me life, uh, the other one gave me love. God took me out of my biological mother's womb and and placed me in the heart of my adopted mother. And she took my twin brother and I and five other kids in. And when I was in the fifth grade, I was labeled educable, mentally retarded and put back from the fifth grade to the fourth grade and failed again in the eighth grade. But what I remember most about our mother, she was a person on a mission. She never had any children herself. And she wanted to do that. She wanted to raise children. She wanted to share her life with someone. And, and every day she got up, there's a spirit of optimism. Although we had tough times, we were poor, but we didn't know it. You know, she worked on Miami Beach and she worked for these wealthy families. And and, and she cooked for them and we ate the food left over from the families that she cooked for. And she cleaned their homes. And I remember a defining moment when hunger for a different life happened to me when I was cleaning some spots off the floor for Miss Harris. And she said, Miss Harris, Mamie, go find this hat for me. That's in another room. On that day, hunger was birthed in me. And mama went and she went in the room. And then I heard Amber, I heard mama clapping her hands. And then she came out and said to Miss Harris, I'm sorry, but it's not in there. But while mama was in there, I asked her, I said, mama, why are you clapping your hands? And she said, don't you worry, you just continue to do what you're doing. And then Ms. Harris said, well, go down and look in the room on the left. And sure enough, mama went down there and she got in the room and she started clapping her hands again. I said, mama, why are you clapping your hands? This time she's irritated. Do what I'm asking you to do, Leslie. Pay attention to cleaning up those stains in the kitchen. And at that time, 
Miss Harris walked over to me and she said, I can tell you why she's clapping her hands. And I looked up at her and I said, why? When I have colored people looking for something and I can't see them, I make them clap their hands to make sure they're not stealing. Amber, I dropped the washcloth, I stood up and I looked her in the eyes. And this time, black people were not allowed to look white people in the eyes. You will be brutalized by the police or put in jail. I looked her in the eyes and I said, my mother is not a thief. She would not steal from you or anybody. She loves you and she loves your children. My mother's a Christian, she is not a thief. And Ms. Harris was so startled, she just walked away. And I got back down on the floor and I started scrubbing the spots on the floor. And I said to myself, never again, never again. This will never happen again to my mother. When I become a man, I'm gonna work so that I can buy groceries for our family. We won't have to wait for someone to eat. And then we eat the leftovers. I, I'm gonna be able to buy clothes for us and we won't have to wait and get hand-me-down clothes. And, and nobody will ever make my mother clap her hands again. You, you mentioned this as well. It's not just other people's opinion, it's your own, right? I think there's a, a quote in your book, no matter what you think, you don't know enough about yourself to doubt your own abilities. And I kept thinking like, how many times do we tell ourselves we can't do it? And that, that may start to come from outside sources, but eventually we reinforce that. So when you talk about that interruption and the people that you spend your time with, being able to make sure that you have somebody that can say, hey, don't say that to yourself is just as important. We reinforce what has been instilled in us this idea of being hungry. I think that anybody who's listened to you talk has heard these words, right? And we know, I mean, I certainly know what it feels like to be hungry for food, but what does it mean to be hungry? What does this mean? To be hungry is to me, to live a heart-centered life, to live a life that resonates with you, to, to live life from the, the spirit of why you are here. A job is what you get paid for. A calling is what you are made for. And people that are hungry, they find a way to win. They step out of line. They don't follow the crowd. Be ye not conformed to this world. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. They have a feeling at some point in time, they have an awakening, as Tennessee Williams said, there are moments in your life that you look in the mirror. And you ask yourself the question to that person looking back, is this as good as it's going to get? Am I going to be any better than this? And it's an unsettling question. And so when you're hungry, you say no. Episode 166, Finding Connection with Pablo Gonzalez. Pablo, how does one become a chief connection officer. Listen, Amber, I, so two things, right? Number one, in my, in my thesis of community creation for business development, 
early on, I identified this idea that every company needs to have somebody that is a C-level executive whose sole focus is to find the alchemy between your clients, your employees, your network, your partnerships, and figure out how to, how to, how to serve connections between that. Because that, from a personal level, I have always found that that is the, the people that do the best in life are those people, are the people that get to know people, find out what they're about, connect them with somebody that they know. So it just only makes sense to me that in this future vision that I have where community creation is is the tool that everybody needs to abide by, which I really think is coming because I think the world is automating and digitalizing and blah, 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 and employee churn and customer churn and all these things are going to continue to happen as everything gets commoditized. I, I believe that that is a part of my thesis that needs to happen. So I just went ahead and gave myself that title. On another side of it, I'm a really big, I'm obsessed right now with category design and category king creation. And the key tenet to that is the idea that marketing yourself as different is better than marketing yourself than better, right? So within the idea that different beats better, I've realized that I've done this throughout my life. the human brain likes to categorize things, right? So the moment that you, that somebody puts you as, oh, you're an attorney, you just go into the bucket of attorneys, right? The moment they put you into, oh, you're a podcaster that's in lifestyle design that happens to create law. Now you're in your own category, right? There's no other attorney that's doing what they're doing. And now you reside in a special place in people's brain that they think of you differently when the word comes up. They don't associate you with attorney, they associate you with somebody that can help them find a better life, right? So the idea, the idea that we, that we try to fit into this box, right? When people ask you what you do and you say, I'm an accountant, people are just going to be like, okay, well that goes into like the list of like 35 accountants I met at the last chamber of commerce event. But it, if you talk about, if you're an accountant and people ask you what you do and you're like, listen, man, I'm really passionate about solving for tax returns for people that have three children and are looking to buy a house, right? Like it, immediately it just separates you, right? So it's like, market towards the thing that you're trying to solve to not your solution, right? Like I'm, I'm trying to, I'm trying to create connections. So I'm telling everybody, listen, we need to understand that people are valuable. Like the more different somebody is, the more valuable they are to you. Cause the more you have to learn to them. And I never shut up about that. And because I never shut up about that, people automatically assume that I have the solution for okay, then how do I learn from others? How do I connect with other people? How do I bring people into my life? Simply because I'm addressing the need that I'm trying to solve. I got acquired. I became director of sustainability for this construction company. And they kind of put me in a hole to die, right? Like they were just like, oh, all right, we got the hippie guy that we need to like to finish the presentation. And like, he makes us look good in public, but there is no career track inside this hospital university builder for director of sustainability guy to move up or down in because he's his own category, right? And as I try to be more valuable, and as I'm like feeling like I'm at a dead end, I'm getting named like top 20 under 40. I'm Latino leaders magazine, right? So it's the juxtaposition was there, right? So I'm like seeking how to how to how to thread that needle. And at the and at one one day the CEO of my company got invited to speak on a panel for smart cities. And he didn't want to go last minute. So they sent me instead. And when I get there, it's at the Economic Development Agency of Miami in front of like 100 people. And I share the stage with the head of Latin America for Cisco Systems. 
and the head of the Smart Cities Initiative for the World Bank and 33-year-old Pablo who's at a dead end in his career. Cool. I do my thing. When I come off it, there's a line six people deep waiting to talk to me. It had never happened to me before. And as I'm going through these conversations, I'm like, oh, everybody here thinks I'm more important than I am. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and, and at that moment, I'm like, the stage, right? So because I was on the stage and because they were in the audience, they attribute a certain level of validation to what I was saying. And because I was on stage with people of a certain ilk, I became guilty by association of the people of that ilk, right? So I'm like, this is a great trick. How can I use it? And my first, my first move at this point was I had you know, created these young professional groups. So I reached out to this developer that was building this high rise in a high income, low density area in Miami called Coral Gables. So you know, high income people don't want a high rise in their backyard, but it was on top of the Metro rail station in front of University of Miami. And by doing that, I knew that it was called transit oriented development. They were incentivizing public transportation investment in Miami. And I knew that that was important. So this developer is having a hell of a time getting that thing approved. I reach out to him. I'm like, hey, man, I know what you're up to. It's transit-oriented development. I know a politician on the board of one of my charities that is super into public transportation. And I know a land use attorney that is really into it too. I want to have an event for my young professional groups talking about the importance of public transportation and how developers fit into the mix you down. And he's like, yeah, I'm in. So have this event cost me nothing like 20 young professionals show up. Don't make him any money, but I put him on a stage. I introduced him to a politician that was friendly with his cause, introduced him to a land use attorney that's friendly with his cause. A week later, he's in the office saying, hey man, you guys gonna bid on the $60 million project or what, right? So we're backdooring this big, this big project. And you know that was the transcendent moment of, okay, so now I figured out that when you connect with people, it's about having value, right? Like finding people's value and enabling relationships. And the stage is the multiplier of that. Episode 184, Finding Your Intuition with Bill O'Haran. One of the most powerful things that I've learned recently is the fact that, you know, people are in your life for a particular period of time. So that 15 minutes that you get, you can be distracted and maybe miss out on an amazing 15 minutes of conversation totally. or you can be present and in the moment and have something that impacts your life in exactly the way it's supposed to impact it. And then go on to the next thing that impacts your life. But you can't do that if you're split and your mind is in four different places at the same time. hundred percent. Robert Monroe wrote three books. He's there's the Monroe Institute down in Virginia. His daughter runs it. And he studied out-of-body experiences for literally 45 years. And, and what he says, and this correlates to what all the research shows with people that have near-death experiences, people that go and come back, he says, all we have in life is shared experience. That's all there is. We're not going to take the, the computer. We're not going to take the car. All this is moments of shared experience. And it's a matter of, did you give it all for that moment or did you not, did you hold something back? And, you know, as I was listening to you describe your life and just every moment when possible, there's something rich in there, because if that's all we take with us is some kind of moment and it's a series of moments, then, you know, I just started when I read that 12 years ago, I'm like, man, I just got to slow down and, and have these moments. Yogananda wrote a book called Autobiography of a Yogi. Let me just tell you, Steve Jobs had one book next to his bed his entire life. It was Yogananda's book, Autobiography of a Yogi. Steve Jobs died at his funeral in 2015. There was 500 people at the funeral. When people left, they got a box, a wooden box. What was inside that box? Autobiography of a Yogi. The entire book, you don't have to read it. The entire synopsis is when you slow down and, and tune in, in the silence, 
you get to a place in between your left brain and your right brain. He calls that intuition. There's a truth about self that is beyond the senses and it's a knowing. It's a physical experience. When you know something, it's, it's, it's as if you were, you know, somebody hits you on the arm. It's like, ooh, there's a knowingness that you actually have bio biomagnetically, bioelectrically, truth is intuition and it's stored in your heart and belly. Your heart's got 40,000 brain neurons, your heart, and your gut has more intelligence than literally any part of your body. And if we don't spend time tuning into there, Amber, our, le our left brain isn't the ruler, it's the follower. The ruler is yeah. our heart and our gut, and you know that. There is no joy greater than a, a meditation session, a relaxation or a therapy session when you got into that sadness and longing and oh my God. And on the other side of that is a, is a, a euphoric joy of appreciation that is 10 times deeper than it'll ever be if you don't go down to the cave. You don't yep. go down to the abyss as Joseph Campbell says, you gotta go into the abyss. I know it's not fun down there, but it's, it's a temporary not fun and you'll be back. But the joy is incalculable. You can't summarize it. Episode 194 with Jody Kringle. For that person who's listening, that's saying, okay, this is great and it's entertaining and that's awesome. I'm not a musician. I don't like what, why do I care about <laughs> voice? Like why should the common business owner or um, common entrepreneur, if that's even a thing, mm -hmm. care um, about voice and how to use it properly? Well, there are two aspects to this. Using your own voice in a powerful way will get your point across much more accurately and clearly. And you will find that better business deals happen because you know what you're saying and you know how to say it. But beyond that, if it's not you that's doing the voice for your company, then the person that is should be representing your company in audible format. So. That's where the whole audio branding thing comes in. And that's kind of why I graduated, I guess, from my early podcast into this new one, because it was such an important topic. And it was something that a lot of business owners really don't give a lot of thought to. So just at, at its very basic level, if you're a jewelry store, you shouldn't have 80s hairband on your music, on your on hold. Like that shouldn't be a thing. You need to relate the music that you would have playing in your brick and mortar store and have it on your on hold. And the voice that you have speaking on your on hold should also reflect who your company is. I really liked being a facilitator, that being that guide, being that that helpful person to point someone in the right direction. I like that. I don't necessarily want to be a teacher. I'm, I'm really not a coach. Yeah, I, I don't really want to be a coach. So there are a lot of people who have been in the business as long as I have and have started coaching for voiceover. That's not something I ever want to do. I, I like mentoring. I like helping individual people, but I don't tend to charge. You know, maybe it's that aversion to charging dollars for my hours, you know? Very maybe well that's what be, it right? Is. I just thought of that. <laughs> but yeah, maybe that's my aversion to it. Um, but yeah, that early experience with a resource on the web and how involved I got in it and how much it meant to me kind of informed the start of the podcast. Um, I actually had an earlier podcast to the one that I ended up 
having to to audio branding that was less successful. But um, what what ends up happening when you have a podcast is that people start treating you like an authority in that subject matter, as you know, I'm sure. Um, And originally, the first one that I did, it was just called Jody's Silver Linings. And all it was was really short little discussions about take time to enjoy life. Don't sit behind your camera when you're at a meeting or when you're like with family and take pictures all the time. Because if you're taking pictures, you're not experiencing the moment. Give yourself some, you know, space to relax. You can have peace. You don't have to have music or anything playing constantly. You don't have to be constantly productive. (laughs) (laughs) All of these really simple little life lesson things that I learned because I'm getting older. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it comes with the age for sure, right? Yeah. So I put them into a podcast. And what happened was um, it started in the summer of 2019. And by October, I was being asked to be a life coach. (laughs) (laughs) And I, I just I put up the the wall on that one, because that's not what I wanted at all. We have this conversation with ourselves of I'm tired of working hourly or salary, right? Mm-hmm. I'm tired of exchanging my time for money. So I'm going to open my own business. And then individuals open their own business and they end up just exchanging time for money under yeah. their own brand. Yeah. And so this idea of like actually creating this financial freedom where you're not exchanging time for money, there's like this gap where people convince themselves that's what they're doing when it's not. Yeah, exactly. And when I found voiceover and I started working in that area, I realized that it works much like music licensing. So I'm licensing my voice. It's not based on how long it takes me to do a project. It's based on where they're using the voice and for how long. So very, like I said, very similar to music licensing. So what that means is that I'm no longer exchanging my hours, my time for dollars. It's a matter of how much money this is going to make someone else. Which is the way it should be. Yeah, Which is the way it should be. And, you know, we have this conversation often when it comes to pricing your products and pricing your services as an entrepreneur, as a business owner. And I'll talk to people all the time and I'll be like, how much how much is this going to cost? And they'll say, oh, it's not going to take me that long. And I'm like, you will always be exchanging your time for money Mm -hmm. if your answer is, well, it only takes me this amount of time. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. If anything that was said during this episode resonated with you or provided value in any way, it would mean the world to me if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the More Than Corporate Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you. If you'd also like to connect, I've created a Facebook group that is full of amazing people who also make it their mission to live their best life every single day. If that's That sounds like something that you're interested in. The name of that Facebook group is Success Center. Head over there, request to join, and I look forward to connecting with you soon.